My first experience with death was with a black goldfish. His name was Abraham, named after Arnold's fish on different strokes. You remember different strokes. What you talking about, Willis? You remember that? 70s, I think. Arnold did it a whole lot better. He had chubbier cheeks. And uh, he was a little shorter than me. But uh, if my memory serves, Abraham, so they, these two guys had this black goldfish, and it was, uh, it was funny. I'd never heard of a black goldfish before. Uh, shortly after we started watching that show, we went and got a fish, and it was awesome, and it was great for about a week. And after a brief time of mourning, Abraham, who we found a little whiter than he should have been floating at the top of that little tank, uh, we had a, a time of mourning uh, that included a time of flushing, and uh, I remember we got another Abraham, uh, another black goldfish. He lasted a little longer than the first. Uh, over the years, I have um, I've dealt with death uh, with a few gerbils, um, several other fish, um, a few cats, even a dog. Uh, one thing I've noticed through all of that, uh, none of them came back. I think it would be a little creepy if they had, right? I mean, that would be, that would be you know, uh, not, not great. Uh, there's, there's, that's the thing about death, though. It's final, right? It's, it's an end. It's, that's it. It's over. Except when it's not. Uh, last week, we started looking at the book of Ephesians, and uh, the short little six-chapter letter was written by the Apostle Paul to encourage the people in a church that he had started in this city called Ephesus. And you can read about Paul's time in, uh, in, uh, um, in the, in, with the Ephesians in the, the city of Ephesus. You can read about that uh, in the book of Acts, chapters 18, 19, and 20. So, so in the book of Acts, we see the, the whole story of the church in the beginning. Uh, we talked, referred to about Pentecost, and that's how the, the, uh, the, the church got started in Acts chapter 2. And then it, it tells the whole story of, of the apostles and, and Paul's travels and planting churches and all those sorts of things. Uh, Acts 18, 19, and 20 tells about when he was with the Ephesians in Ephesus. And then later he writes this letter to encourage and strengthen them, uh, and, uh, and, and he writes this to, uh, to, to help them, uh, even though he's unable to be with them because he's in jail. So I, I told you last week that this whole letter addresses topics that, that get to the heart of who we are, and that's why we've, we've kind of chosen this, uh, uh, this, this uh, title of identity uh, in, in studying this book. And, and last week, as we looked at chapter one, we, we saw that we have an amazing identity, kind of kicks things off uh, pretty rapidly. Uh, uh, God tells us uh, not just how we feel about ourselves, but, but God tells us the facts about who we are, and he says that, that, that we're blessed, and that we're chosen, and that we're redeemed, and that we're holy and that we're marked with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and if we could live out of that identity, an identity of, uh, of being chosen by God and blessed by him, that, that he's redeemed us and made us holy and his Holy Spirit lives with it. If we can live out of that identity, it, it really would change, transform our lives and, uh, and, and, and help us to live lives that are, that are maybe different than, uh, that, than living out of the lies or the feelings that we have about ourselves. Today, we're, we're, uh, we could take weeks and weeks just studying all the intricacies of, of Ephesians chapter 1, but we're going to step into chapter 2 today and, uh, and look at the first few uh, verses, the first section of, of Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul uses imagery of death to talk about life. And so Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, uh, I, I want us to, uh, to just read through that, and then we'll look at a couple of things 
this morning. As for you, he says, you were dead. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you follow the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. As I said a minute ago, in our experience of death, death is final, right? But there's no coming back. I mean, there's Jesus, of course, and the handful of people that we read about in the Bible who were raised from the dead. But in our experience with pets or with people, death is final. It's a dead-end road. That's why we call it a dead-end road because it's the end. It's final. And yet Paul says that, that, that he says, you all were dead in your transgressions and sins. It's past tense. It means that 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 was the truth over here, but maybe something happened in here that you're not dead anymore, and it makes me start to scratch my head because I know that death is final, and there's not a, you were once dead, but now you're not. Uh, Death is death. Uh, He he says that we're dead in our transgressions and sins. I... uh, uh, have some really nice books in my office that, that tell me all sorts of things. I don't know Greek, but uh, that's what the New Testament was written in at first. And uh, that my, my real smart uh, books tell me that the t- definition for that word or those words that are translated transgressions and sins back in the, uh, in the Greek, it simply means to miss the mark. Your, your transgressions and sins, what Paul writes here, he says, you were once dead when you were missing the mark. Have you ever missed the mark? I'm not talking archery. Um, I, uh, although I was reminded of this, uh, this story that I heard a long time ago, a guy driving down a, a country road and, and it was tree lined, you know, and, and as he's going along, he starts noticing that there's these, uh, there's these targets on, on the trees as he goes by. And uh, right in the center of the target is, a, is an arrow, right, right in the bullseye. And he notices it's on this tree, and then he, a little bit further, it's on this tree, and this tree, and then he goes all the way down the, down the road, and then he realizes up ahead, he sees that there's a, there's a guy with a bow and arrow, and he's pretty intrigued by this guy that seems to be hitting the bullseye every time. And so he pulls over, and he starts talking to the guy, and he says, yeah, I noticed, noticed this whole line of, of trees with all the, uh, all the bullseyes. I mean, you're quite a shot. Uh, what's your secret? And the man said, well, I just, I just kind of line up like so. And I, uh, I aim up at that, you know, that tree up yonder, and, and I pull back, and I just let her fly. He says, and then I get this gallon of white paint and this gallon of red paint, and I go up and I paint a target right around where I... He was going to make sure that he didn't miss the mark. Of course, there's the other story of the kid who was playing ball in the backyard by himself one, one summer afternoon, and he had the, bless you, he had the ball and he had the bat... And he tells himself, you know, he's psyching himself up. He says, I am the greatest hitter in the world. He throws that ball up, 
takes a big swing and the ball bounces and he missed it completely, whiffed it. Picks the ball up again not to be deterred and he, throw, he says as he's throwing it up in the air, I am the greatest hitter in the world. Takes a swing, bounces on the ground, missed it completely. Grabs it and figures one more time, what's it going to hurt? And so he says, I am the greatest hitter in the world. Throws it up and he takes a big swing and he misses it completely. And as he's picking that ball up, he starts to think and pause and he says to himself, man, I am the greatest pitcher in the world. We, um, we've all missed the mark. We've all missed, missed the hit in the home run or shot the arrow that hasn't been in the in the center of the target. No matter how hard we try to lie to ourselves or trick ourselves, Paul is right. We've messed up. We're dead in our transgressions and sins. We've missed the mark when it comes to following what God, God's standards for life. So after all the great stuff that Paul said about our identity in chapter one, that we're, we're blessed and we're chosen and we're holy and, and, and all the rest, uh, then, then he starts chapter two out with, uh, well, you know what? Your identity is that you're dead. You've, you've followed the, the, the devil and his lies and, and your own evil desires and, and, and you've sinned. You've missed the mark and that equals death. And, and uh, as I read that, I say, man, there's no coming back from that. But we can't stop there. The verse, first three verses talk all about that and how we've, we've uh, missed the mark and we've done wrong and, and, and it's like we're dead in our transgressions and sins. We are dead in our transgressions. But, but we can't stop reading at verse three because verse four changes everything. It's this big hinge uh, where the, the whole passage turns. Verse four uh, turns on our ear everything that we think we know about death. Verse four says that there's something happening that, that, that can change everything. Verse four says, but God. You see it there. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. So there was sin, but God. There was death, but, but then God happened. There was, there was disobedience and evil desires and wrath and judgment, but then God. Verse, verses four and five here describe parts of God's identity that make all the difference for us. So we're looking through this passage and we're looking at, at all the things that describe our identity, but, but, but we're also discovering who God is in the process. And, and we find out here that, that, that God has great love. Pretty, pretty cool identity there. God is rich in mercy. That, that God gives grace. That God saves. That God can make dead things live. Verses 8 to 10 spell it out a little bit better. Uh, or a little bit more fully, it says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Grace. Grace is an, is an awesome thing, it's unmerited favor. We don't deserve it, but, but God loves us anyway. In, in, in another place in Scripture, it says that God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. God is gracious, even in our sin, even when we were, as Paul says here, dead in our transgressions and sins, even when we've missed the mark. God is gracious. Why? Why in the world would God do that? <laughs> because God knows who you are better than we know who we are most of the time. It's, it's right there in verse 8. 
God knows your true identity. He knows that you are his handiwork. Again, in those, those smart books I have, it says that the word for handiwork here is poema, which is where we get our word poem. You are God's poem. So God has made and crafted you much like an author sits down and develops a poetic masterpiece. Uh, other translations uh, actually use the term masterpiece or workmanship. You are God's masterpiece. You are God's original masterpiece. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good work. It, it's a picture of a master craftsman, God, creating art. That's you. You have been painstakingly and lovingly crafted by God as his original masterpiece. You weren't just an afterthought. You weren't a mistake. You are the result of God's creative skill and effort. (laughs) I think all of us would do well to just sit in that for a while. You, you, yes, even what you know about yourself, God has created you the way you are, his masterpiece. And whether that's, that's part of how you see yourself today or not, that's how God sees you. It's, it's your identity. It's who you are. You're his handiwork. You are God's original masterpiece. His life-giving handiwork is on display in you if you believe, if you have faith. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. If you believe, uh, as we believe and as we turn our lives over to God, then he creates life and hope where there was death and decay. I think it's, uh, it's important to see the whole progression in this whole passage because it starts with death and it ends with God creating something masterful. Paul doesn't ignore the, 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 the origin story, so to speak, right? He doesn't ignore where we've come from. He spends time on that and he says, hey, this was part of who you were, but God. He's not pretending everything was all great and fine and, and, and wonderful. He's honest. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. Things were not going well. <laughs> and we can all relate to that. But God, in his great love for us, who is rich in mercy, made us alive even while we were dead in our transgressions and sins because of his grace as we believe. I, th- I think we'd all re- do well to remember the entirety of the story and, and of our story uh, and how God has, has, uh, has been working in each of our lives. I've been telling you for weeks and we send you emails and, and most of you uh, don't want to share and that's okay, you will someday, I promise. But um, we, we want you to tell about and tell your story of how God has, has moved and worked in your life and how he's moving and working uh, through your life and the lives of others. Um, and today we have a special treat. I told you there was a little bit of a twist today because, uh, because this isn't just a, a lone, lone guy up here sermon this week, but uh, I've got a little help. So Dawn Fivette is going to come and she's going to share a little bit of her story and I think it will be uh, inspiring for all of us. So okay. to start off, Dawn, I was just wondering, you know, just, just wondering how long, oh no, okay, how long have you been a part of the, uh, the church here? Um. I started coming here in the church in 2009, so 10 years now. All right. And um, you have shared some things with me about uh, 
your life growing up and some of the struggles that, uh, that you walked through there and, uh, and, and not struggles, uh, good times and bad. Can you just kind of tell us a little bit about your story? Okay. My growing up. Um, I did truly have wonderful, wonderful, fabulous parents. I'm an only child, and yes, I was spoiled, spoiled rotten. Um, the three of us were the three musketeers, and we were always together, and we did everything together. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, but she, however, had a very um, rare disease. It was called Fedrick's ataxia, and it was um, a form of muscular dystrophy, which affected all of her nerves and her uh, muscles. And um, by the time I was three years old, she was confined to a wheelchair. And um, me and my dad were her caregivers, you know. But I still, I mean, even with her being so sick, um, it never prevented us from having a wonderful, wonderful life. Um, and as me and my dad were the only caregivers for her, um, my dad, he was a true, true Irishman. He was a hard worker. Of course, he liked his beer, and he was always full of laughs. Um, and he was a great, he worked at the still mills. Um, and he was a great, great husband to my mom and a great, great dad to me. And the one thing he always did was made sure that we had everything that we always needed, you know. Um, my mom died at age 48, and my dad died at age 52, and I was 27 years old at the time. Um, my dad was very healthy, um, and we've always been close family, like I said, but the last, like, six months of his life, we really became really close because my mom was very sick, and um, we were just taking care of her. And um, my dad ended up dying very tragically. Um, it was an unanswered vehicle accident, and um, he was found flipped over, ejected up from his car, ejected in a ravine in Cleveland. And there was a major homicide, not homicide, but vehicle um, investigation that went on, and we just never really truly found out what happened. But um, his final, you know, um, on the birth or on the birth death certificate was um, just drowning because he was face down in the ravine and obviously couldn't move. So, so that happened uh, in December of 2003, but there was a lot of things. No, that, that was like December one. Sorry, because that was when Kevin he died when my Kevin was four months old. Okay, but right around this, several things happened within a short period of time. So, right. kind of walk us through that timeline a little bit. Okay. Um, well, after Kevin was born in 2001, we, um, me and I wasn't married at the time. And me and my husband planned a wedding, and we, plan, and we planned this big, gorgeous wedding thing. My dream was to go on a cruise, and um, it was planned. We booked it and planned it, and it was me and um, my husband, of course, my parents, my best friend, and then his best friend and his parents. And um, we planned that to go in January. And then in November, we, um, my dad came to me. Like I said, we were really close. And my dad came to me and said, Don, I don't think your mom's going to make it. She's really sick. And I said, what do you want me to do, Dad? And he said, um, 
I want you to go on the cruise. I want you to go without us. He's like, and we'll be with you, but we, she just can't go there. And I said, no, it's the only thing my mom wants to see is me married and happy. That was what she wanted. And um, so we canceled everything. And um, two weeks later, well, December 10th, we went to the Justice of Peace and we got married. And just me and my mom and dad and his mom and dad. And then we went to Bob Evans for my reception. So that's what we did for my wedding. But, um, okay, now I'm losing it now. Um, so anyways, so the, it just broke our heart that, you know, but it, my mom was very happy to see me married. Um, okay, so then on December 18th, and every day since my son was born, truly, at 8 o'clock, my husband would go to work, and I would go to my mom and dad's house since Kevin was born. And they would help me because I had a newborn baby here. I didn't know what the heck I was doing, you know. So they were my strength and my support. And I was over there. But on December 18th, my dad asked me to come over and spend the day with my mom because she obviously could not be alone at all, not even for one minute. So me and Kevin went over there and um, spent the day. And he went Christmas shopping, because that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to go Christmas shopping for me and Kevin and my mom. And um, December 18th, he never came home. And that's when, you know, he had his tragic car accident. And we know that he was out Christmas shopping, because that's all we found in the car was all these toys and diapers and things for Kevin. Everything for Kevin. Kevin was his world. So anyways, um, I ended up staying the night at my mom's house that night when he didn't come home. And um, I, I had to babysit the next morning. And um, I'll never forget my mom begging me just to go past, like, in Cleveland, I don't know, there's a ravine. And there was a place that my dad enjoyed going to sometimes. Not a ravine, but like a park. And I said, no, mom, I can't go there. I can't go there because... I had to get home, and I was in such a rush to get home to these, and my husband had to leave, and um, sure enough, that's where my dad was found, 17 hours later, but anyways, I always regret not going over there, because I was in so much of a hurry, and maybe we would have, oh well, there's all these maybes, and that wasn't even in my little thing here, by the way, so I got totally off course, I'm sorry, okay, but, um, so I, Afterwards, I was with my mom for a period of at least 24 hours, and then I finally called my husband home at noon, and I said, something's wrong. My dad still isn't here. Come home. So my husband came home, and um, I sent all the kids home, and I called my mom's best friend. I said, can you come stay with my mom? I have to go to the Brook Park Police Station to um, file a missing report. And so she came over and stayed with my mom, and literally I was only gone from my mom for 15 minutes. And... Um, in the meantime, the police were there, and they told my mom about my dad. And me and my husband and Kevin were at the police station, and they told me about my dad. So that was that. And then, um, of course, immediately after, we, um, we stayed with my mom. We moved in this little tiny house, two-bedroom house, and um, where I grew up in Brook Park. And we took care of my mom, like, but she was very, very sick. And um, she actually died exactly two weeks later. She died on January 2nd. Yeah. 
And I kind of skipped the part, but another tragic part was when my dad died. The only two people that could identify my dad was me and my mom. And that was one of the hardest things in my life because they couldn't clean him up or anything. And to see my dad, he was all rigid. And his legs and arms were just everywhere, mud covered. And I had to identify him. And that's the last look. So through the course of just a few weeks, you've, you've changed your wedding date, then your dad tragically passed. Two weeks after that, your mom passed. And uh, so it's, it's been a, it was a very difficult month for you. Yeah, That's and then really you had the holidays, you had really Christmas, you had New Year's, you had... Yeah. yeah. And then... Um, after all of that, uh, tell us a little bit about your, uh, your relationship with your husband and, and some of the issues there. Okay. Well, um, so then we had like adjustments to do, obviously. So um, I owned my own house in Cleveland at the time. So um, I sold my house in Cleveland, and I sold my mom and dad's house in Brook Park, and that's how I ended up here in Medina. And so I moved here in Medina, and I had, when we moved here, Kevin was 15 months old, and my daughter Cassie was one month old. And um, we moved here not knowing anybody. You know, we just took all the sales from the houses and moved here not knowing a single soul. And um, within two months of living here, my life again just kind of changed when tragic again. And um, my husband cheated on me, and then really abused me and my daughter, Cassie, and uh, put us in the hospital for a little bit, and, uh, and poor little Kevin, he was only not even three years old, and he's seen everything, you know, he's seen my husband put my head through the wall and beat me and Cassie really bad with spindles, and it was just horrible, and, um, from that day on, um, he never came back. Um, he was gone by Kevin's third birthday. And um, we've never really had any true contact at all with him since that. So within two months, that happened of here, and I had no one. I mean, my, I'm an only child, like I said. I had um, just, I didn't know anybody. My, my friends, you know, were back in Brook Park, now that's like five states away, but some people think it is, you know. Um. So you're in this crazy wild town of Medina. You don't know anybody. You've got the, uh, yep. the issues that you're still working through with all of the, the tragic circumstances of your life and really nowhere, nowhere to turn, so to speak. What, uh, as, as things started, what, was, what, 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 what happened next? then I had to figure things out. So I was in a new town. I had absolutely no one, like I said. I had no job. I had two babies, and I just met Miss Kim, and she's here right now, and she's still my savior. Um, I met Miss Kim and Tony Norton, who at the time were just opening their small wonders daycare, and they were both so fabulous to me. I can remember that um, I was trying to work a part-time job going to school for nursing and just trying to raise my kids. And her daycare didn't even open until 7 a.m. 
Yes. But she made special arrangements, and she had some coworkers come in early, and um, she would open at 6 o'clock for I would be able to get in the middle of winter, get to my clinicals on time. And they were just, Tony Norton and Kim Norton were just the most special people. They were the only people that I had here. You know, I had to trust my kids. And she would even take my kids overnight to her own home privately and help me with the kids. And it was just such a blessing in my life because she was the only one that I had, you know. And, and, then, then, and then she did the crazy thing of bringing your kids to church, right? She did. How dare her? Yeah. <laughs> Um, Miss Kim, for like almost two years, was bringing my little babies to school, to here, to church. And I never went. I never came for over two years. And, um, but she would steadily bring them every Sunday with her own kids and her own... She had a lot going on then, too. We all do. But she always took care of my kids, yes. And then one day, um, Miss Kim asked me, to meet her and her pastor, which was Pastor Pete, at Starbucks for coffee one morning. And I was very hesitant and said, no, no, but she talked me into it. Just so you know, I get that a lot. You do? No. I, <laughs> yeah. So I did. I met Pastor Pete and just Miss Kim at Starbucks, because even 10 years ago, I drank a lot of coffee and still do today. And um, I was a hot mess. Even then. I mean, back then, like I said, I was struggling kids. I was going to nursing school. I was waitressing at Sully's bar trying to put myself through school. It was crazy. And um, I just cried. Remember at Starbucks? I just cried and cried and cried. But the ironic thing is, is I, I, my kids, mostly Kevin, and I wish he would have stayed, but mostly Kevin really, really tried to get me to come to church with Miss Kim. Kevin Cassie was a little bit too young, but um, and I just couldn't do it. And even after three Sundays, after meeting with Pastor Pete, I, I couldn't come to church. I'm like, I can't. But then I don't know. With the encouragement of Miss Kim and Kevin bugging me to come, I came, and it was the best thing I ever did ten years ago. Mm -hmm. So through all the turmoil and the circumstances throughout your life, God was moving and working through people, through circumstances, through coffee, uh, through, uh, through the Spirit orchestrating things. Tell us about how you came to faith in God. It took a while. Like I said, when I started here, you guys don't know, but Mr. can I just name names? Mrs. Harwicky, I don't know if you guys know, but they're just the elderlies of this church that used to be here. And there was a, a lady named Dale. I don't know if you guys know, but these were just the elderlies of Medina. I didn't even know the Bible. I really didn't. I didn't know God's word. I couldn't even know how to find scripture in the Bible. And I started a Bible, a ladies' Bible study. And they were in it, and they called me out on things. They, they were kind of ruthless. And uh, I remember Dale making you answer a question. Oh, my gosh. So I, I typically like to try to figure out, oh, they're feeling uncomfortable, maybe I'm not going to ask, and Dale said, well, Don, do why don't you tell us about it? Dale's no longer with us, and I think she would share that, uh, share that story over and over. We have a lot of Dale stories, but uh, this isn't about her. But it's not, but, but she brought me... They were ruthless. Yeah. Yeah. Because, 
Yeah. Anyways, let's continue on. Okay. And um, so for the past 10 years here at the Church of the Nazarene, I began um, going through Bible study classes with, you know, singles or just everything and anything, and growth groups and VBSs and mission trips and just... And then they threw me in a volunteering in the kinder care um, program, which was just wonderful for me because, like I said, I didn't know the gospel. I didn't know the Bible. And um, it made me read through the week. And me, I had to be prepared for these little kids that probably knew more than me. So it did. I, I did a lot of the volunteering and did the curriculum in the kinder care church, which was wonderful for me. made me learn and read scripture and just volunteer in the classrooms, and it really opened up my heart and my eyes to Jesus Christ. Yeah. So what difference has God's presence made in your life? Today I know and believe, and I have complete faith and trust in our God and our Savior. For he himself is our peace. He has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, anger, and hurt. Having faith and trust in our God, I am personally have so much more contentment, peace, and joy in my life. And I know that I'm not alone anymore. Amen. Amen. Let's give Don. Thanks, Dawn. No, you can just throw it down somewhere. But God, because of his great love for us, made us alive in Christ even while we were dead in our transgressions and sins. It is by grace you have been saved. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it's a gift of God not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. We all have a story. Maybe yours doesn't sound at all like Dawn's. Maybe it's completely different, or maybe it's a lot the same. I would guess the themes, there are some themes that resonate. Ultimately, it's that without God, we're lost, we're floundering, we're going through stuff and we all go through stuff and some of it is tragic and awful and we don't know how in the world we're gonna make it. But God, in his great love for us, made us alive in Christ even while we were dead in our transgressions and sins. Don, I appreciate you sharing with us and having the courage to, uh, to share and to be so, so personal and vulnerable and, um, and I, I think we all need to be at the right times in the right places, able and willing to share our story. Share how the, share the but God moments, I guess, of our lives. That while we're struggling and while, and Dawn would be the first to say, she's still on the journey, right? As we all are. We're still, till, still taking steps. And, and until we, uh, uh, we get to heaven and see Jesus face to face, we're still, still, uh, still walking and making progress with him. Uh, but it's, it's that, that turning point of, of that but God moment that while, we're, while we recognize, we have that aha moment of, 
uh, that God does love me in spite of me, that God does love me in spite of my circumstances, that God uh, and his great love for us and, and in his mercy and in his grace can make me alive even when I don't feel like it. That's the story. That's the gospel. That's the thing <laughs> that, that, that we all uh, can experience. And so maybe today you've had your but God moment or many but God moments. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe you haven't and you're still wondering and curious about what, uh, what all this is about. I hope that through scripture and through story and through real life events, you'll begin to see that God loves you, that he is, has crafted you as his workmanship and that he is using your life, the, the good, the bad, and the ugly, all of it together to form a, a, an original masterpiece, his handiwork for his glory. Will you stand with me? And I just want to take a minute to pray. If you'd bow your heads, and we're not going to belabor things, and we're not going to have a, a big altar call, but I do want to be praying for you, and I want to be praying specifically. And so just this morning, between you, me, and, and Jesus, uh, all the heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If, if you're going, pray for me, Pastor. I, um, I, I, I want to experience God more. I, I, I want that. I, I believe I have faith. Help me to take the next step in my relationship with God. If that's you, just, just raise your hand and I'll be praying for you. I see that and that and that and that and that and that and that. Anybody else? Father God, thank you. Thank you for the stories that you continue to write. Lord, for each one here, especially for those who, who have raised their hands and are, and are uh, dealing with, uh, with taking the next steps in their relationship with you, Lord, I pray that you would, you would go deep into our hearts today, that we can sense your presence and that we can know your power. And, and as we go from this place, uh, we can go knowing that we've, we've not only met with you, but you're making a difference in our lives. Help us to know the next step. Help us to trust in you with all of our hearts. Lord, I pray that, that, that we can be looking for those but God moments. And, and Lord, for some of us, maybe we've been walking with you for a long, long time, but there's still areas of our lives where, where we need uh, your Holy Spirit to, to transform things. And, and Lord, I just pray that, that you would do that and we would be open to whatever you want to do in our lives. I, I pray that, that uh, if there's anyone here that, that hasn't yet turned their life over to you, that we can come to that, that, that place of, of faith and belief, of trust in you to say, God, I want to follow you. Forgive me of my transgressions and sins. I know I've missed the mark. Help me to follow you. Lord, I, I thank you for uh, the story that you're writing in, in Dawn's life and for the ways that, that she was uh, able to share that uh, so, so uh, poignantly with us this morning. And I pray that you'll continue to touch and bless her as, as she uses her life and your story in her life to make a difference in the lives of others. I pray for each one of us that, that uh, we can take those next steps that you have for us, that we won't hold back, but that we'll step in fully to follow your plan for our lives. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who doesn't leave us in our transgressions and sins, that you don't leave us in the, in the death that seems like it's a dead end but that you provide your love and your grace and your life. 
Help us to believe and to trust in you. Go with us now in the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray.